Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. With the midterm elections in the U.S. essentially over, the Biden administration must reassess its priorities for the remainder of the president's term in the White House and before the next electoral cycle kicks into gear. Foreign policy did not play a prominent part in the contest between Democrats and Republicans. Domestic issues could very well top the list of voters' concerns looking forward to. But how are Biden and his Iranian counterpart, Ayatollah Khamenei, going to interpret that political reality along with the continuing protests against the Ayatollah regime in Tehran and its sale of military drones to Russia as they consider the fate of the 2015 nuclear deal? To analyze it, we're joined all the way from New York City by Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former International Atomic Energy Agency Deputy Director General and a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from Central Israel is retired Colonel Dr. Eran Leoman, who is the co-host of TV7 Middle East Review, a Powers and Play panelist, and the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security Vice President, as well as the Editor-in-Chief of the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. And joining us here in the studio, of course, as usual, is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers and Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of the current state of play vis-a-vis Iran's nuclear aspirations and a practical program. So there are uh, two uh, scenes or fronts uh, to consider. Um, one is the um, Board of Governors uh, meeting of the IAEA in Vienna, and uh, we will uh, go deeper into it uh, a bit later. Uh, earlier this week, uh, they, uh, they met, and uh, Iran was uh, an agenda item. And, of course, what you mentioned regarding uh, President Biden um, and his uh, uh, plans and uh, considerations uh, for the remainder of uh, his term, now that he has managed to avoid defeat in the midterm elections, uh, keep control of the Senate, and he has seen the political fortunes of uh, his uh, rival from two years ago, uh, Donald Trump, uh, going down. Not out, but going down. And uh, that means that uh, if the Iranians Uh, have uh, an argument or an excuse uh, along the lines of what happens if Trump is back uh, in the White House in 2025. Is uh, he going to abort the the agreement if we now revive it? And by the way, um, in an interview a few days ago, uh, Donald Trump said that his intention was to reach a better deal with the Iranians, uh, had he been re-elected, uh, which he thinks uh, he was, uh, only uh, he was robbed of it uh, in uh, 2020. So uh, to sum it all up, of course, there is the matter of the Iranian potential to uh, go uh, nuclear. But above that, we have the issue of political will, both in Tehran and in Washington. And of course, the Iranians, uh, you can see it uh, either way. Uh, Either you are not going uh, 
to now give it to the Ayatollahs now that there are so many uh, protests and for so long against the regime. But then again, if their economy um, will be revived along with the agreement and the population um, will see a better future, perhaps it is a positive uh, consideration. And again, Biden will have to weigh all of that and reach a decision soon. Two brief remarks. One, uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, during a session uh, in, in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, actually predicted uh, that this would be the outcome and the Biden administration would uh, consequently also uh, try or opt to revive the 2015 nuclear agreement, regardless of its flaws and the time uh, left for such an agreement to actually have any effect whatsoever. Uh, and uh, the second point that I think is very important to mention, uh, the money that would go into the coffers of uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran would go into the coffers of the regime. It wouldn't go uh, to the opposition, so-called, which is currently protesting in the streets uh, and consists of the majority of the Iranian population, but rather would go to support uh, the faltering areas, the poor areas, which continue to support the regime and ultimately bolster the backing necessary for such a tyrannical entity uh, to prevail. Nevertheless, I'd like to ask you, Dr. Heinonen, at this current state, uh, in we hear different reports about different quantities which the Iranians have managed to accumulate. Nevertheless, when we're looking at uh, the agency and in the reports that uh, uh, were circulated, the restricted reports, that is, uh, within uh, prior to the Board of Governors by Director General Rafael Mariano Grossi, he, he said pretty much that the agency of this current uh, moment in time does not know how much Iran managed to accumulate. So. Where does uh, this actually come into reality when we're talking about the various reports, talking about eight or ten uh, possible nuclear warheads if the Iranians decide to push for a nuclear weapon? Thank you. That was actually a very good question. You know, I took a look on this IAEA reports during last one year. And what was striking to me is that, first of all, Mr. Grossi expresses some verification difficulties. But let's look at the events of this week. The IAEA got a report where the nuclear material was verified sometime at the end of October. And those numbers are presented to the board almost one month later. One month hmm. is a fairly long time. Actually, if we go to IAEA basic verification criteria, which applies for enrichment facilities, and in particular for high-enriched uranium, it needs to be verified every month with a high detection probability for cross parcel and bias defects. And this report doesn't really explain whether those requirements were met or not. But what, for, what is more for me also disturbing, why IEA cannot do the verification, was not able to do the verification, for example, sometime last week, because all the tools are there, it's not time consuming. So there's something wrong in the setup, and perhaps the secretary don't want to say that actually they don't meet the basic uh, safe cost verification criteria, which is applied in enrichment plants, whether it's in China, Germany, or Brazil. 
So this is something the board should start to think that is everything now okay in terms of the verification? Then this has an other new dimension. Now we saw that the uh, nuclear material inventories uh, were increasing. Not so much the inventory of 60% enriched uranium, but if you look low enriched uranium uh, inventory, it went uh, substantially to higher numbers. And the reason are the new centrifuges which has been installed. So the capacity of uh, Iran to do enrichment is roughly double what it was, uh, you know, three months ago. So when you combine these two things together, I think that the Secretariat should perhaps brief board more accurately about the inspection activities and do they really meet the verification criteria? And if so, this is not a JCPOA issue. This is to do with a comprehensive safeguards agreement. And mm -hmm. this should be reflected not in the JCPOA paper, but in comprehensive safeguards agreement paper, which now talks mainly about these long-standing issues. Because if that's the case, that the Secretariat is not able to do the verification in a timely manner, they have all the tools, they can do it in China, they can do it in Brazil. So is Iran fully complying with the basic safeguards obligations? This is my question. Well, uh, this is uh, an open question indeed, which should be investigated. Uh, Dr. Lerman, I'd like to hear your take on this. Well, I'll go back to something quite surprising that uh, our outgoing Minister of Defense in Israel did, uh, basically summing up his term of office because it is his side which lost the election and he's not very likely uh, to join the Netanyahu-led coalition and things. So he was clearing his deck and in doing so he spoke very openly about the need for uh, a military option vis-a-vis -vis Iran coming into focus. He did offer the assessment that Israel does have such an option. And he um, cautioned, of course, the incoming government, the incoming prime minister, to use uh, Israeli capabilities very carefully and very wisely. I assume he was suggesting that we should sustain our uh, close relationship with the United States and others in the West as we prepare to face um, the outcome of what we've just heard, namely that Iran is slipping out. Uh, whether uh, Whatever uh, ultimately the IAEA may do, Iran is slipping out of control and coming closer and closer to a breakout point. And um, given that uh, regardless of the results of the American midterm elections, the, uh, whether the U.S. Senate remains in, uh, under the Democrats or, or does not, there are no 67 votes there for a, uh, an, a, a ratification, and there is no guarantee that could be given to this Iranian regime under any circumstances that the next American administration, which could be Republican, it may not Trump, but it could be uh, a like-minded uh, administration, um, would not cancel whatever is agreed. Moreover, the French are now making noises about how this regime is not a, a partner that uh, the, the West, that, the, that Europe uh, can deal with. 
the two issues that came up are both the uh, arms supply to Russia and of course the brutal, uh, ongoing brutal repression of the uh, Massa uh, uh, protests. And the idea that uh, such a regime could all of a sudden become the beneficiary of major um, concessions under a renewed JCPOA is increasingly repugnant uh, even to uh, to the European uh, left. So <clears throat> I, I believe that um, regardless of the outcome in the uh, in the American elections, the likelihood of a uh, an elegant return to where we were on the JCPOA is becoming less and less likely. And unless the Iranians are willing to bend over backwards in terms of their concessions to make it work, um, <clears throat> I think we are going to face probably in early 2023 a major point of crisis and a major point of decision for Israel and for the West. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd like to uh follow up on, on what also uh, Dr. Lelman just mentioned, France, which has been the hawk uh, behind the scenes during the 2015 nuclear negotiations, it came out, basically, President Emmanuel Macron during the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, not far from here, uh, and uh, announced that even though he opposed the Trump administration's withdrawal, uh, he also regarded it as uh, opposing the withdrawal because there was no better alternative at the time. At this point in time, he does not see the JCPOA as a viable um, constraining method uh, for that matter. And moreover, he also sees it as uh, a point in time where there is a necessity to find alternatives and uh, to be creative. I don't know what this creative actually uh, means. Of course, the Iranians responded by saying, you're just a secondary actor and whatever the U.S. will dictate, you will follow suit. So uh, they asked uh, the French leader to shut his mouth, uh, so to speak, uh, in more vulgar terms. Um, but is there a certain tear within Western cohesion with regard to the, the aspiration of revival of the 2015 nuclear agreement? So the entire diplomatic effort started some 20 years ago um, at, by the way, the initiative of the Ariel Sharon government uh, here through the uh, E3, the uh, three European uh, powers, uh, Germany, France, and Great Britain, which at that time uh, still considered itself European or it, and was part of the uh, EU. And then it expanded to the United States, China, and Russia. Now, of course, uh, there is no cohesion there when Russia is uh, an adversary on Ukraine. Uh, it is uh, being sanctioned and um, it's a very precarious uh, position because it is an ally of Iran in Ukraine and elsewhere and could very well uh, break rank, uh, ranks at, the, at any time. But nevertheless, uh, the Iranian uh, response, which you cited, even though it was brutal, was on the mark. If President Biden decides that uh, it is in the uh, American interest to revive uh, some version of the JCPOA, the other Western powers um, uh, will follow suit. 
But there is uh, one point which is germane to the Israeli-American relationship. Uh, we had here, and we are going to uh, broadcast very soon, a conversation with former Deputy Vice uh, Chief of Staff, Major General, retired Yair Golan. And he uh, recounted how in uh, 2015, when he was leading the Israeli team, preparing a military option against Iran and um, trying to coordinate it with his American counterparts, Prime Minister Netanyahu, by working to undercut President Obama, caused the Department of Defense to order um, its officers and presidential appointees to seize coordination with the IDF. And if Netanyahu, now back in power, uh, will try again uh, to fight the Biden administration, the way he did with the Obama administration, there will be uh, trouble. Now, U.S. Ambassador to Israel, uh, Tom Nidus, a few days ago, um, expressed his or his uh, president's disappointment with the potential candidates for defense minister in Israel. So um, it's it's a very it's an extraordinary interference in internal. Um, cabinet making in another country, but of course the American-Israeli relationship is unique. So we may see politics in Israel have some impact on the question that we are dealing with. Unique enough for the Americans to meddle in uh, domestic-Israeli affairs? Of course. So it seems. We, we, may, we may tell them that we don't want their $4 billion a year anymore. Indeed. Well, I, I'd... <laughs> I'd like to ask both uh, Dr. Heinonen and uh, Dr. Lehrmann, uh, who both have been also very involved in uh, 2015 in one capacity or another, um, to what degree are we in a point of return to the agreement where such a document is a viable option to actually constrain Iran, not just for rhetoric purposes, and would really inject the, the word comprehensive in such an engagement, which then would uh, be beneficial enough to pump those funds of money into a regime that is going to undoubtedly utilize those uh, to foment additional repression of its own citizens and tear throughout the region and beyond. Dr. Heinonen? First of all, I put aside this uh, political consideration and just to look at it from the technical point of view. The nuclear Iran today is not the same nuclear Iran which was there in 2015. Their capabilities are much higher. They have mastered to produce high-end uranium. We don't know what they have done with the weaponization-related activities, which some of them continued after 2003. So those deadlines which were set up or sunset provisions uh, for the JCPOA, in my view, are not technically any more valid. They need to be changed, they need to be extended, they need to be also made much more rigorous. Because we see that when there are these issues which are raising up, Iran doesn't answer the questions, but buys time. And this goes back to the heart of the IAEA safeguards and timeliness conclusions. They are not anymore followed as they were uh, followed in 1990s when the safeguards were strengthened. So I think that this a new agreement 
whatever you call it, JCPOA 1 or 2, or very comprehensive agreement, but this agreement as it stands today, in my view, is not any more valid. Indeed, Dr. Lehmann? I fully agree. Um, the original promise of the Biden administration, and by the way, the ideas that the French uh, discussed and even agreed upon with uh, uh, Mike Pompeo, which Trump uh, decided not to uh, implement, involved a, the quest for a longer and stronger agreement, which would stretch uh, much deeper into the next decade um, and would be much more rigorous in terms of its limitations on Iranian uh, enrichment and, and the ability to marry um, their, their knowledge, their bomb-making knowledge with their ballistic missile project, which is roaring forward in a dangerous manner. So all of this makes the JCPOA of 2015, whether it was a good or bad agreement at the time, uh, my own opinion was that the US could have achieved a much better agreement back then. But um, regardless of whether it was useful then, it is of very limited relevance by now <clears throat> in terms of preventing um, Iran from becoming a very dangerous international player and the nature of its regime, the nature of its associations, the nature of its ambitions for the region are now manifest for all to see. And therefore Israel, alongside many others in the region, uh, expect the United States to take a much more rigorous uh, attitude in the, uh, in the next stage of the, uh, I don't know if it will be a negotiation, it will be an exchange, an attempt to pressure Iran into taking a much more uh, conciliatory position. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program. We have roughly about five minutes. Uh, Mr. Owen, I'd, I'd like to start with uh, a question to you, and then I'll uh, revert to our distinguished uh, guests. To what degree at this stage, uh, Rafael Mariano Grossi has come to an understanding, of course, with the Iranians, that uh, by next month he would travel to Tehran for uh, discussions that would uh, uh, hopefully uh, yield some fruit, even though I am uh, quite uh, pessimistic about it, uh, regarding uh, the outstanding questions uh, with uh, a specific uh, note to the uh, nuclear particles that were uncovered in Iran, of course, in uh, uh, undeclared locations, which uh, would then uh, render Iran in breach of its NPT um, uh, commitments. Is there some situation in which there can be a certain overture towards Iran to draw it in at this point? There are um, some six weeks until the turn of the year. So you can either call it stoppage time, like in football, or garbage time, like in basketball, when the uh, result uh, is already uh, known. And come January, the uh, Biden administration will have to decide whether its priorities allow it to concentrate on it. And we know that it's China, Russia, North Korea, and only then you get to Iran. So however uh, much they want to invest in it, will tell you whether they are serious in the pursuit 
of a new agreement. Regardless of the voices, of course, heard in either Europe, Israel, or elsewhere throughout this region. Dr. Heinonen? Well, I think that Mr. Cross is in a very difficult uh, situation. He has heard now a number of promises, new work plans, new roadmaps, promises that we continue to address the uh, these long-time outstanding issues, but there's no substantial technical answer which will, has removed his concerns. So this is just another attempt. He will go there. I think it's important how this meeting is now prepared so that, the, first of all, the P5 plus one, or at least E3, three will convince Iran to address this seriously and to see that uh, those answers start to come. Answers which we have been waiting for three years, or in some cases, actually from 2003. That's one thing. But I start to be also concerned about the actual implementation of safeguards in Iran, because this number of more advanced centrifuges cuts the breakout times. And at the same time, I sense reading the, when I read the IAEA reports, maybe there are some deficiencies in the verification regime, which provides less assurances on the absence of diversion, and in particular in the absence of undeclared activities and misuse of facilities. So this needs to be addressed, I think, by the IAEA uh, Secretariat fairly soon. Indeed. Dr. Lehrman, you have less than one minute. Well, quite frankly, as uh, our outgoing Prime Minister said in his UN uh, General Assembly speech, without a very clear and, and, and manifest um, credible military option that would make it very clear to Iran uh, what would be co the consequences of continuing to go down the path on which they are now. It is not likely that Gross's efforts or an American attempt to resume negotiations will produce a result that uh, the region can live with. B-52 overflights are not enough? <clears throat> well, it's a signal, but it is not quite uh, um, sufficient in terms of the resolve or the message about the resolve of the administration. This would have to come from all, all the way from the president himself and the people closest to him in no uncertain terms. And by now, of course, the need to take Russia or China into consideration is much less acute. So it ultimately comes down to the U.S. closing ranks with the E3 and at least hopefully coordinating with Israel in the, uh, as, as regards the intelligence situation and sending an unequivocal message to Iran. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Dr. Oli Heinonen, Dr. Ran Lerman, and Mr. Amir Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.